0: I have the utmost trust in Alona and with the running group. Yeah, the whole journey of losing my vision has really been a journey that has perhaps opened my eyes in an ironic sense. I learned on the job, but I think I had a really good coach just to tell me what she needed.
1: That was Couple of the Quarter, Noella Clowider and Alona Thomas. And this is episode 65 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim. And I'm a trail runner.
2: Welcome to our podcast where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life.
1: Do we ever have a treat for our final episode of 2021? We took the liberty of tweaking our normal couple of the quarter format to bring you this conversation with training partners Noella Clowater and Ilona Thomas. Noella is a visually impaired runner and former high-performance, middle-distance track athlete who's represented Canada on a number of occasions and still holds Canadian records in the T12 category for the 400, 800 and 1500 metres. Noella's track career came to an abrupt end in July of 2012 with the unexpected news that she was left off of the Paralympic team for the London Olympics. In 2016, she moved to Brockville, Ontario, where she met Alona and rediscovered her love of running. Noella trained Alona to be her trusted guide, and this fall they pulled off some killer teamwork to run every single step of the Petite Train de Nord marathon together, finishing in an impressive time of 3:44.22. We get all the details surrounding their race preparation and execution. And towards the end, we have a fascinating discussion about their love of cold water plunges year-round in the St. Lawrence River. And now onto our conversation with Noella and Ilona. Well, we are here with Noella and Ilona. Ladies, thank you so much for joining us on Inspired Souls.
0: Thank you for having us. It's great to be here.
1: So we thought we'd do a little tiny twist on our couple of the quarter series with you two. You are not a couple in the traditional ways that we tend to use that term, if there's even such a thing anymore, but you sure did have to work together. In a recent marathon where you, Alona, helped guide Noella to a 344 marathon at Petit Train du Nord on October 3rd. And we want to spend... uh, good chunk of today's conversation talking about that experience uh, with both of you. But before we get there, we'd love to get to know you both a little bit better. So the two of you are in my hometown of Brockville, Ontario, but neither of you are originally from there. So why don't we hear about what led both of you to Brockville first and foremost? Alona, do you want to go first?
3: Sure. I grew up, I mean, I was born in South Africa in Cape Town and lived there until I was 27, I believe. And then my husband and I moved to Canada and we lived in Saskatchewan for a couple of years and then actually moved to Morrisburg, Ontario for 16 years and have probably been in Brockville now, I think it's 10 years.
1: And what do you do in Brockville?
3: Oh, I'm a speech language pathologist and I work primarily with children. So I play and talk and coach parents all day. (laughs) (laughs) under the age and they they they're all under the age
0: of six
1: all right and what about you Noella
0: I grew up most of my life in Prince Edward Island and came to Ontario in 2000 Uh, I spent a lot of time in Ottawa where I was training as a high performance athlete and uh, completed my master's degree and once I moved on from that and opened a new chapter in my life we ended up moving to Brockville and uh We've been here for the past six and a half, seven years.
1: Okay. And now in my research, I think I read somewhere that you were actually born on Christmas Day. And that's partly why you're named Noella. Is this true?
0: That is a true story. <laughs>
1: okay. So your birthday's coming up, and this episode's going to air just a few days before your birthday. So instead of a belated birthday, we'll wish you a, <laughs> a happy birthday in advance.
3: Yeah. Thank you. And Noella is one of these people that absolutely loves Christmas. Okay. Awesome. So
1: is it like now the two of you live on the same street from what we understand. So is it like a competition? Like Noella's decorations have gone up and now Alona feels like, you know, she has to keep up with the Joneses or how does it, how does it all go down on uh, your street in Brockville?
3: I did um, have Ava, Noella's daughter, over for a play date last week. And I asked her, I said, because we have one Christmas tree in our house. There is no Christmas tree here yet. I usually do it maybe the week before Christmas. But I think that this year with saying there's going to be a shortage, because we usually get a real tree, I might have to do it a little earlier. But I think at Noella's house, they might have three or four trees. Am I right, Noella?
0: Yeah, that's correct. We don't have a real one up yet, but we, we do have a, a, a couple of artificial ones already glowing. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't, I don't compete. I would lose.
1: Right, right. You just, you just choose not to compete. I, I respect that. I respect that. We all know our strengths, right? So were you just always interested in Christmas or do you think it partly had something to do with your name? We're going down a rabbit hole here, you guys.
0: That's all right. So I've, I've always loved Christmas. Obviously my birthday's on Christmas. So that was kind of my time of year. But I've just always loved uh, the joy and the celebration and the togetherness of Christmas, and uh, I have a beautiful three and a half year old daughter. And uh, yeah, times have been hard the last few years, so why not? Uh, why not embrace all the joy? So Absolutely. we are uh, we are Christmasing it up. I
2: love it. Hundred percent. So like, I'll throw a little. Uh jab at carolyn right now did you and johnny ever take your tree down last year or did the christmas tree stay up the entire year
1: it's a little bit of an embarrassing story but yeah (laughs) it stayed up till about may because we were just we just kind of we weren't doing anything we weren't having anyone over and it made us happy so we left the decorations up until may and then we started getting texts from our neighbors being like are you is everything okay over there <laughs> what's going on <laughs> so we took it down and then in august it was my mom's 70th birthday they live in Brockville your hometown and they came out here and so we're like oh we're gonna throw my mama's 70th birthday party and she loves Christmas too so we said okay well we're gonna have you know the Christmas in July kind of thing but uh, we took a little page out of that book and we did Christmas in July August for my mom so then <laughs> out came all the decorations again and so they were up for the better part of August and then we put everything away and then we always decorate the day after (laughs) Remembrance Day. So I'm like, wow, we kind of know the drill. Everybody knows the roles and we have that stuff up in like half an hour. (laughs) Anyway, we're, we're very much going on a tangent here now, but um, now we're interested in hearing a little bit about each of your, your running backgrounds. So how did your running stories each begin? When did you discover your love of running?
0: I did some recreational running in my days. But uh, in 2002 was when I found out I was starting to lose my vision and became quite highly involved with CNIB over a few years after that. And uh, I was actually at that point into able body competitive dragon boating. A CNIB worker was out at my house and she was encouraging me to become more involved in the visually impaired community. So I actually went out to a track race. It was a regional track race and it was to meet other visually impaired runners. There were a few runners that had some sight like me, but also some of my greatest friends like Jason and John Dunkerley. There were lots of uh, of great people out there. And uh, I uh, actually started the race. I was wearing uh, basketball shoes, basketball shorts, and a t-shirt, which anyone who's run on the track knows that doesn't appropriately fit. And uh, yeah, the race went well, and uh, life did a 180. From there, I was approached by the Canadian Paralympic Committee and started doing some Dabbling in it and doing some training, and uh, yeah, went from there. I ran uh, high performance until 2013, and uh, then took a break for a while. And when I came to Brockville with work, I actually reached out through my work a couple of times to the Brockville Roadrunners and to the running community. And Ilona answered back at one point, and we uh, got into uh, recreational running. And Ilona's been uh, Angel as my guide. And uh, yeah, it's all gone from there into longer distance as opposed to the track.
2: Well, there's so many follow-up questions I could ask just in that little (laughs) bit you've told us. So let's actually just go right now to, you know, tell us a little bit more about what it's like to be a visually impaired runner and the kind of support you need to run safely. So how does someone like Ilona support you and not only running safely, but performing as well.
0: Right. So tr- track running and road running are two totally different worlds when it comes to being a visually impaired athlete. Um, and I think Ilona could even speak to that in our training. Um, when I get on the track, I feel very free. I'm, I'm comfortable. I know my foot's going to hit the ground at a certain point, and it's all flat. But when you get to the road running, it's uh, really just running with someone you trust, having good communication, Alona and I tethered at the beginning of the race just to help get around the crowds. And that's what some people choose to do on the track as well. Uh, but it was just a lot, obviously with the marathon, there's a lot of training. So practicing, communicating in, in training in our long runs, discussing what works, what doesn't work, occasionally having mishaps or laughs or good days, bad days, just, just working through it all and developing that trust and that uh, relationship with someone. I always knew Alona had my back, so I had full, full trust in her. And I think that's really important when you're on the road.
2: You know, we had a guest on several months ago named Will Barkin from California, who is a visually impaired Mm -hmm. runner. And I've known him for a few years, but never really sat down and talked to him in depth about the logistics Mm -hmm. of running with a visual impairment from, like you just said, the amount of trust you have to build with somebody. He's a trail runner, but he talks about road running and all of those unpredictable hazards related, yeah. related to humans <laughs> that, that turn in front of you or jump in front of you. Or um, It's a whole other level of attention, focus, mm-hmm. and practice, too, I would imagine. What kind of a learning curve did you have when it came to running with a guide?
0: So I think because I had run on the track I initially I ran on the track unguided and then as I became more high performance I, I worked with a guide so we got to know communication cues and such and I think that's the biggest thing on the road is knowing the communication cues. So go away from me, come to me. Okay. Whole curb. Just just knowing the keywords that are gonna help either for me to light feet to step a little lighter if we're on rougher terrain or, or to step over something, move, move to the left or to the right.
1: Mm -hmm. And in many ways, the track is such a more controlled environment than the road. Like absolutely. Right. So there's nothing, I mean, as long as you know, from your guide, like you're not going to run into anything. It's not like there's potholes or (laughs) anything like that. You're going to run on the straight or you're going to run on the curb. So in a way i guess as you were being introduced to running with your visual impairment because my understanding is it was a gradual thing correct correct yeah that happened when you were an adult correct in your 20s so you know you're going from running with sight to gradually more and more impaired sight and so the track was probably a nice place to start with that
0: yes it absolutely it absolutely was
1: yeah. Okay. Before we go, there's a lot I want to explore here, but I want to bring Alona into the conversation in terms of let's hear a little bit about how you got into running and then eventually guiding Noella, because I don't think you had a lot of training in that. So if there's some on the job <laughs> training involved. So let's hear your origin story. A
3: lot. So, we moved to Brockville and I'd run a little bit when I was at university and when we lived in Saskatchewan because was we were in a tiny, tiny town and I always liked to be fit. So I ran like a section of road, but as I had my children kind of uh, running fell by the wayside. And then we moved to Brockville and um, our oldest son is a runner. And I would watch him go to practice and sometimes just to kill time. I was like, why don't I go out for a run while, and we drove at that point we were driving. I was driving him to Morrisburg from Morrisburg to Brockville because he ran with the Legion. And then I joined um, a learn to run 5K group um, at the Y and then Gradually, like most people, five became, oh, I can run five, get 5K. I'll try 10. And then I gravitate. I am not one of these people like our coach, Paula. And I think Carolyn likes the shorter stuff. I prefer the longer distance. So I did the half marathon for many years. And my, my youngest son, actually, for my 50th birthday, which happens to be eight years ago, signed me up for the marathon in Toronto for my birthday. So my birthday was in September and I ran it in October and I was one of these people that ran the marathon. I didn't really, ha- I didn't have a coach at that point. I ran on three days of running and crossed the line at 3:40 57 or something, oh my and heard that I qualified to go to to Boston and New York. I didn't even know that these were that these were things. I didn't know that people worked really hard to to go there. And to this day, that first marathon is my my second fastest time. My fastest time is running Boston, and I've done I think nine marathons now. And I like I'm one of these people too that I I really reflected in COVID. Racing is something I like to do, but it's the process. It's actually Mm -hmm. it's not about the outcome. It's really about the process. Running is just so embedded in my everyday. So COVID was a gift in that way
1: yeah that's when you've struck it rich in my opinion is when you like the training as much as you like the racing because 99% of the time we're training and not racing right Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. but I need to circle back around to okay your son gave you the entry to run a marathon for your 50th birthday is that like giving someone a puppy (laughs) like here (laughs) you go happy
3: birthday (laughs) Probably. I mean, he's, th- he's thinking, I mean, I had, I had been toying with the, idea. I think, you know, he, I must've talked about it. So, uh, and I think I, at that point I'd done like I don't know five or seven half marathons. And he's like, well, why wouldn't you just do the marathon? And I think I just needed that little push. Um, okay,
1: so it was a natural extension. It yeah. wasn't like a mean thing that he did.
3: <laughs> no, I, and I think he came, he actually came uh, and w- supported me, like uh, on, you know, like he cheered me on and stuff. So, and then coming back, I guess how did I meet Noella? Well, she uh, she mm-hmm. had said that she put out to the road runners, and I I thought wow, like I'm looking maybe for something different to do. I didn't know. I mean, I think when I replied, I said, I have no idea what I'm doing. And she said, oh, you don't have to know what you're doing. I'll let you know what you need to do. And somehow it was the middle of January or maybe the the beginning of January. I mean, I asked her today, I said, I think there was like snow and ice and stuff, like the, <laughs> the roads were not clear. <laughs> I am a risk taker, but looking back, I think I must have been crazy. But somehow we did our first run. I think we ran down King Street, right? Mm-hmm. We did. Yeah. So we did an out and back and she didn't fall. And um, I think we realized we enjoyed spending time together. And that first run has led to many, many more kilometers together.
1: Okay, so I have to ask, were you like, I would be completely stressed out if that was my job. And my job was to keep somebody else safe like that. And I had no training, I would be like on edge the entire time. So what do you remember about that first run in terms of your mental state um, of the responsibility that you had before you?
3: Yeah, I think I was really nervous, but I think that Noella had been like, she was so kind of calm in her. She's like, this is what I need you to know. And she did tell me that she had run down that stretch of road by herself a few times. So I was like, okay, if you can do this by yourself. So I think that she she has trust in her own abilities and yet she was really supportive and kind of talked me through what I needed to tell her, you know, when there was a curb or a patch of ice or whatever. Uh, and when it became kind of granular and yeah, I I kind of just, uh, I learned on the job, but I think I had a really good coach as to tell me what she needed.
2: So we're going to get into in a minute, I think a bit about some of your high performance athletic endeavors here, Noella, and somebody that is very accomplished and has the personality to perform, you know, to to hold themselves accountable and to be motivated. I just find, because I'm not a high performance athlete per se, but you're, you're sometimes a bit of a control freak, right? You have to control so many variables in order for that equation to come out on top. What was it like as you started to lose your vision and have to start relying on people to let go? and actually trust and allow another person to be a part of your equation in a different way?
0: Yeah, so that's, that's a great question. And I sometimes do public speaking or talk about overcoming adversity. And I mean, if I were to say I found out I was losing my vision, it was no big deal. I mean, it's totally a a lie. I definitely went through a couple years of pity parties, that's for sure. Um, in 2003, I lost my driver's license, which was probably the hardest hit because uh, that was a whole loss of independence for me. And I am a control freak. I am fiercely independent, and I'm a risk taker as well. I, I just I loved being able to drive, and I loved having that freedom and autonomy. So to have that taken away was was hard. Um, and as I as I said, I, I, it was I was pretty hard on myself. I felt like. I describe it as the blinds were kind of closing. It just seemed like this whole part of me was being taken away. However, it just came to reframing and uh losing my vision has opened up so many doors for me as well as I became involved with the c n i b and I saw the these running opportunities came out and I met some great people, and perhaps the opposite happened where the blinds were opening. I got involved in paralympic sport um became a high performance athlete. Uh, Because of that, I got an athletic scholarship to do my master's degree at the University of Ottawa. There was just so many great things came out of it. And part of that, being fiercely independent or being a control freak is that sometimes you have to let go and you have to trust in the camaraderie of others. And perhaps that's one lesson my vision has really taught me. And especially in running on the road and running recreationally, I mean, I, I have the utmost trust in Alona and with the running group that I run with and yeah, the whole journey of losing my vision has, has really been a journey that has perhaps opened my eyes in an ironic sense. Mm. You know, I have a quote up on my
2: wall here and actually don't know who said it or what book it came from, but it's something to the effect of the thing that you feel the most resistance of is the thing most required for your soul's evolution. Have you ever heard that quote mm-hmm. before? Something okay. similar, you know? And so I, I think about that all the time because I'm a control freak. And, you know, you, you sometimes make a choice to let go and sometimes your hand is forced and you have no choice if you want to keep on the path you are. And that's exactly what you need to do to grow. And um, I don't know. I just wondered what your perspective was on that.
0: Yeah, one one of my favorite qu- quotes is actually Viktor Frankl. And uh, he talks about the, the last of man's uh, human freedoms as the ability to choose their, his or her attitude. And yeah. um, I think that's definitely a life lesson that I've learned um, in all of this.
1: Could not agree more. I think that quote is something like between stimulus and response is a space mm-hmm. and in that space lies your freedom or something like that. And it just almost g- yeah, gives me gap. chills every single time because it's like yeah. the yeah. situation could be the worst, like this person living in a concentration camp of like hell on earth. Right. Yeah. And they still have the wherewithal to say, no, you can't take that away from me. Right. And so yeah, absolutely. I wanted to go back to, Uh, you're very modest and you sort of glossed over (laughs) these (laughs) accomplishments that you've had, but you have competed at a very high level for Canada and you actually just missed narrowly, I believe, making our 2012 Paralympic team for the London Olympics, correct? Correct. So if we understand correctly, you were quite devastated about this and you said it was like losing a piece of your soul quote, Mm. end quote. (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit more about that experience?
0: Yeah, sure. So the Paralympic system is actually a little bit different than the standard Olympic system. So they're parallel of each other. So we had the A standard and B standard, just like the Olympic system. But the Paralympic system, based on the World Championships' previous performance, is given a quota of how many females and how many males they can take. So I did have the B standard for my race. And it was uh, it was pretty set, or it seemed pretty sure that I was going. In fact, I was asked to be an ambassador. I, I was fortunate to have uh, dinner with Will and Kate, the Duke of Duchess, when they were in Ottawa. There was just, oh. there was lots of amazing lead up to London. So it, it come a Paralympic year, it was uh, very hard. I found out July 1st, 2012, that I wouldn't be attending the Paralympics. No visually impaired females were going whatsoever. I had spent a lot of time, obviously, training leading up to 2012. I was very involved at that point in public speaking. I worked closely with a school in Frankville, and one of their projects was a student sent me a letter every day from 2010 to 2012 wishing me good luck. So, yeah, I think as an athlete, instead of being noella the wife or noella the human kinetic grad i was noella the visually impaired runner and my identity was so wrapped up it was all encompassing in this runner that in that silo all i could see was competing at london 2012 and hopefully doing very well there so when that uh, when that was taken away and and being a control freak there i had no control over it um, there was absolutely nothing I can do. It was a very hard loss. Um, mm. I, I ended up uh, grieving that loss quite badly. However, the uh, the day the Paralympic team left for London, uh, my mom actually ended up getting quite ill. So I was able to uh, go and spend time with her that I wouldn't have been had I, uh, had I been in London. So uh, again, everything unfolded for a reason. But at the time I found out I was cut from the team, it was... Uh, a devastating loss. I, I lost my identity. I didn't know who I was.
1: Yeah. And that's such a disorienting space to be in, Absolutely. isn't it? And, yeah. and, and takes a long time to rebuild because you kind of wander aimlessly probably for a while being like, okay, well now what? You know, like you've lost a lot of what oriented your day and gave you structure um, in the training. You were um, going potentially for middle distance, right? 800, 1500?
0: Correct. Yeah. Again, being Paralympic, because there's so many disability categories, sometimes races are are put in in a a four-year cycle and some are taken out. So unfortunately, the 800 meter for visually impaired T12 females was not uh, in the 2012 Olympics. So my main race would have been the 1500 meter. The
1: 1500. And are you still the Canadian record holder in that distance?
0: I am, yes. Wow. Wow.
1: That is amazing. And we could talk all day about this, but again, I want to bring it back to, so you were a middle distance kind of specialist at this time. And we're talking 2012 time frame. And you uh-huh. said it was 2016 when you moved to Brockville and met Ilona and she started to guide you. And somewhere in there, you got the idea to run a marathon, which is decidedly not the 1500 meters. (laughs) So talk to us about that whole time and and how the marathon came on your radar.
0: Actually, just uh, don't mind me saying just before that part, going back to the 2012 thing for a second, part of the loss, I think, was not only the loss of not going, but the loss of the joy of running, because it became so much about all the extrinsic factors and what I did get or didn't get out of it. That I lost that joy. And so I, I I left running for a while. And when I came back to Brockville and went out with Alona and the group, that joy came back almost instantaneously. And even more so when you met, meet such a wonderful group of women that you just enjoy spending time with and you get faster with and you start feeling rejuvenated with. And, and I think that really helped. That really brought Alona and I together was the joy that both of us find embedded in our life with running.
3: Mm hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And tell us, maybe Alona, you can tell us a little bit about this magical running group that you have in Brockville. Who who's your coach <laughs> yeah. there, and give us a little bit more of a, a sneak peek into the vibe of that group.
3: So our coach, I think, has been on your podcast because I did le- listen to that episode. So uh, her name is Paula Wilsey. We'll
1: I'll make a small correction. I actually was a guest host on another podcast called Women Run Canada and we interviewed her. So uh, I will link that up in the show notes because Paula is a wonderful, like we could talk about her all day. She's a wonderful runner and a great human being, but carry on.
3: Yes, so um, Noelle and I both belong to uh, Paula Wilsey's Reason to Run group in Brockville. I believe she's also a coach for Mile to Marathon, um, but Mm -hmm. most of that I think is done online. But um, she does have a group, and we used to meet But prior to COVID. I think it was twice a week, Tuesdays and Saturdays, typically were our workout uh, days. Um, And then depending on, I think that what the great thing is, is that depending on um, your level, right? You going to the, your easy days, which I'm still working on trying to, especially listening to some of the stuff you put out there, Carolina, about easy being easy. Those easy days, you try and find people that are, um, firstly, that you enjoy running with, and that are kind of your pace. And I think that uh, Noella and I seem to be well matched. We also live on the same street, so it makes it easy. And I think um, you know our lunch times also kind of lined up that we could uh, run at lunch together too. So, so mostly, I mean, there are some guys in in Paula's group, but uh, it it typically is a group of uh, of like minded women. of of varying ages, we've all become really good friends. And as you know, runners usually have your back and uh, you what what you talk about on the road stays on the road. So it becomes (laughs) your therapy and your social and your physical and everything all at once. So
2: 100%. Ilona, I wanted to ask you, Noella talked about finding her joy in running again, when she moved to Brockville and meeting you. And I don't doubt some of that was just because of the natural energy you exude from running. So where do you get your joy? How do you keep the joy in the run?
3: So I have to say to you that I'm, I am, and we had, I had a discussion with a colleague at work today. She said I was highly strong and I took that kind of as an insult, (laughs) but she meant, I think what she meant was that I have a lot of energy and I think if I had Mm -hmm. to go to a physician and, and be diagnosed years ago they probably would have put me on adhd kind of spectrum so i think that running has given me that part of my day that centers me that gives me the ability to process things i never ever run i always say i probably would get killed by a car or something or a dog or if i never run with anything in my ears it's always the sound of my breath and the sound outside and the thoughts that just all the friend beside me that I'm chatting to. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know where I get, I think that, I think I get the joy. I mean, I don't always, and I was saying this to my husband who has rediscovered running again. Um, he came home one day and said, oh, I don't feel like going for a run. And I said, do you really think that every day I actually say, I feel like going for a run? No, I often don't <laughs> want to go for a run, but put your shoes on and I'm sure that you can go for five minutes and you'll be fine. You'll Actually, you'll like it.
1: Mood follows action.
3: Exactly. So I think, I think I find the joy in everything that running gives to me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's those things that I get back. You know, the fitness that I find, the friendships that I have, the self-regulation that I get. It's that mm-hmm. reset button in my day. Sometimes now I swim too and I ride my bike, but running is really my true love. That's the thing that I, I come back to. It's easy. You come home, put your shoes on, and you can go out the door.
1: Yeah, the simplicity of it is just so appealing, isn't it? So, uh, Ilona, we know that you're a, a seasoned marathoner, but Noella, was this your first marathon?
0: It was my second.
1: Your second marathon. Where was mm-hmm. your first?
0: Uh, the same race, actually, Le oh, Petit Tramp, okay. uh, two years prior and uh, in 2018. And Ilona actually guided me the first half, and then I had a second guide jump in the second half. And uh, this time, Alona and I did the run together the whole time, and it it, uh, worked out great.
1: Okay, so I want to know whose idea it was to do it this time. Did you feel like you had unfinished business with the last time, and that's why you wanted to go back to the same race and tie up some loose ends there? Or or, or was it just so beautiful? Like, I think I've read it's one of the most beautiful bike paths in all the world or something like that, that, their website boasts. So is it just that beautiful, and you wanted to go back and repeat?
0: So it was actually neither, really. Um, <laughs> I hadn't really intended on racing. I, I am one of these people that does enjoy the training more than I find racing can be very anxiety provoking. However, Elona gave me a phone call the end of March and we discussed it and uh, she twisted my rubber arm quite easily. And uh, <laughs> yeah, we enjoyed it very much.
1: Okay, so she, Elona, you'd already had a little bit of practice guiding her on the first part of the 2018 or 2019 run. So, what made you want to say, hey, let's just go all in and do the whole thing together?
3: So, I think that, I mean, Noella, correct me if I'm wrong, like we'd run quite strong. Like the first half, the second guy jumped in and we kind of ran together. And then I kept pace and she saw me just take off. And I think it was really, I think she struggled the second half of the marathon, which is a crazy thought because Noella actually and be a faster runner than I, I am. But um, I asked Paula if she thought that I could do it because I think typically people who guide someone are actually much faster than I would be in terms of just being able to guide all the way and keep focused, right? So I only had anxiety, I think, uh, two days before the oh, the Friday before the race, when someone actually pointed that out to me. They said, Shouldn't you be about a half an hour faster (laughs) than no one wants to run? So I called Paula. I'm like, uh, should I? She said, Alona, I would not like you've done all the training together. She said, I would not allow you to do this if I didn't think that um, you were capable of actually pulling this off. So what um, a
1: great coach thing to say. Uh, Yes, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. but you're right. It's so much more than just the physical act. Like talk to us about the concentration that goes in on your side above and beyond the fatigue that you're experiencing, running a marathon almost to your capacity. Um, talk to us about like what else you're paying attention to as you're going through this marathon.
3: I mean, I think that it really helped that we did some really long runs together and we had a couple of 35 kilometer ones that really went uh, well. So, and I knew we could talk like we practice, we practiced fueling on the fly. We practiced drinking on the fly in those runs so that, you know, um, yeah, the, the I think that just the practice to that extent, I thought, yeah, I can get her that far. And then I think it's as much of a mental thing it is for me, it is also for Noella, you know, mentally to be able to, you know... Um, also not zone out because she has to listen. You know, she has to, I have to be right, you know, a little bit behind her and she has to be able to listen and hear me with everything that's going on. So the first part of the marathon, I think we were good, like, like most marathons go, right? It's only at 32 or 35 K that the real work become. And I think that that was really hard because Fortunately, I think we both were actually doing, we were doing okay. We'd also, I mean, Noella can talk more about what really helped, like some of the strategies that we used because uh, um, they were her ideas um, in the race. But I think that what was really tr- challenging for me, and I forgot that is, you know, that at 32K, you're suddenly going to have someone stop right in front of you, or you're going to have people suddenly walking in them and the path isn't that wide. So I had to be mentally more focused <laughs> from 32K to the finish than I was, you know, at, at kilometer 10, it just got that Mm. much more challenging.
2: I can identify with that. I haven't paced anybody in a whole marathon, but I have in ultras and that last 10 to 20%, like you said, it's where the race begins. And that's where your runner needs you more than ever. <laughs> mm. And so let's, let's go. You said, Noelle, I can talk to more about the, the, the specific strategies that you guys utilized to make this a successful run. What were some of those things? If you had some advice to give to another mm. runner in your situation, what would you say?
0: So there were two things. My main goal for both of us when we went into the run was not to stop when I had done it two years prior, when I started feeling a little bit depleted, I was just, nah. I just kept stopping. Um, whereas this time, there was, there was no stopping whatsoever. So having that in my mind at all times was very helpful. But the strategy that I found the most unique that uh, I think we both really enjoyed was I suggested uh, before the race to Ilona that we say something we're grateful for at every kilometre. And so each time we went past a kilometer, we would say something we're grateful for. So whether it was our husband's or I would say my dog or there, I mean, we had obviously a lot of things to say we're grateful for. And that worked really well till about 36 uh, K. And then I made a comment of, I was glad there was only, I was grateful there was only eight K left. And I don't think I said one after that. <laughs> <laughs>
3: it was the most amazing thing. And just when I had to check my own ego, Noella actually at one point said uh, she said to me that actually made me tear up. Um, she said, "I am really grateful for the vision that I have left," and it made me realize. And Caroline, you said to me, "What what was so special about doing this this mm-hmm. run? It was getting someone to." to reach a goal that they had. It was outside. It wasn't about me. It mm-hmm. was about helping someone else achieve a goal. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why it was so special. So when she said that, it was like, oh, yeah, this has nothing to do with you, right? It's it's all about her. So, um, And then I think that it, at that kilometer where she, and it speaks to being mentally tough, I think when Noelle, is, I said I'm so thankful or grateful that I have mental toughness. Noella said, I'm so grateful we only have 8K left. <laughs> and after that, we, um, we didn't do too much. I mean, we didn't do too much. The talking kind of, uh, it subsided a little bit and the work began. And right yeah. around those parts, actually, suddenly our coach, so, so Paula and Brock would pop up randomly And yelled at the top of their lungs, which was really, um, which really helped uh, draw us to the the finish line. But the funniest thing, the funniest story of all is that Noella had said her goal was just to keep moving forward. She never said to me, I'm not going to stop. She said, We're just going to keep moving forward. Mm. And um, she also said, we'd made a pact that we were never going to tell each other how we were feeling at any point of the race. (laughs) Never going to say whether we were feeling good. We were going to ask each other, how do you feel? Because we were not going to say we were feeling good or bad because in, in honestly, we, we probably at different times of the race, right? You in a marathon, you're going to feel differently at, at different points. And um, I mean, I think at kilometer 38, we did at one point run a five Oh five. And I said to her, I don't think I think I need to pull this back because we still have 4k left. Five over of five is a, is a little too uh, is a little too fast. But then, with 800 right. meters left, she turned to me and she said. I don't think I can go. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I, said, <"What?"
0: laughs>
3: I said to you, you have two laps because I knew she's a track runner, right?
0: Oh, yes. Yes. That was exactly oh, what you said. Okay. You said you have two yeah. laps of the track.
2: <laughs> yes. I was just curious what your um, visual field is, Noella, like how far ahead can you see? When can you see the finish line?
0: Oh, uh, not I kept asking Alona where it was. Um I, You can hear the the crowd more than anything. I mean, we were coming across people that were saying almost there, almost there. And yeah, yeah, um, yeah. as far as seeing it, I have uh, only between five and twenty percent vision left. Okay. So uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't see it from until I was very close.
3: And this finish line too, even with and then at four hundred meters, I asked there were volunteers. You cross a road. And you can't see the finish line. You really, 400 meters later, you still can't because it kind of goes around a corner. So then I asked, I said, we have 400 meters. So you know what she does with a track runner, 400 meters with the marathon? Oh, gee, sprint. She sprints. <laughs> yes, she starts <laughs> sprinting. Yeah. And I am not a sprinter, right? <laughs> so she's reaching her arm behind me because she wants to cross <laughs> at the same time. And I'm trying. She's pulling you along. <laughs> she's pulling me. Well, she, I, I mean, it, honestly, I was going to throw up and pass out. At
1: the end, um, so you achieved your goal then of completing the whole thing without stopping.
0: We did. Yep, we just kept moving forward.
1: Amazing, and I think I again in my research had seen that you did the whole thing at what three forty four, right, just under three forty five. Correct?
0: Yeah, three forty four twenty two. I think was uh, was the time. So was
1: that a time goal to be under three forty five?
0: So I hadn't really set a time goal going into this one. I just wanted to enjoy the process and uh, I mean I'm very happy it was under 345. Yes. And it was it was an eleven minute personal best. So
1: Oh my goodness. Congratulations. Well,
0: you can't get much better than that.
1: That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. and, And now Alona, maybe I'll ask this of you because the Petit Train du Nord website does boast this most beautiful bike path. Marathon in the in the entire world is that accurate?
3: I mean, it is. It's absolutely. It is beautiful in the fall, like uh, when the mm-hmm. leaves were changing, and you run by. You know these beautiful pristine lakes, and um, it it's quiet. It's on crushed gravel most of it. I think you run eight k um, on pavement, and then it becomes crushed gravel until about six k to the finish. When you're back on the paved part of the the path, but it's run. It's entirely on yeah, this bike trail. So it is, it's absolutely beautiful. And it's a net downhill too, right? Right.
1: right. Now, sometimes like Boston's a net downhill, (laughs) right? So sometimes it can be a net downhill, but there still are hills in it. Was it like that? Or did you find it fairly downhill?
3: It was fairly downhill, right, Noella? I mean, we did go up a little bit, but...
2: Okay. So you finished. You
3: finished strong
2: or or not. You finished. <laughs> and
0: how did you celebrate after? What did you guys do to to celebrate this occasion? We had gotten Airbnb and uh, Ilona's husband and my husband and daughter had uh, joined us. So yeah, just some rest and relaxation afterwards. Um, I had some big uh, work meetings coming up. And the next two days afterwards, so celebrations were somewhat limited. I did, I did have a cold pint, um, but yeah, we just enjoyed a relaxing evening.
2: So you had a cold pint, but did you also have a cold plunge? I understand there's been a little bit of that in your history. We did
0: not that day, actually.
2: So let's talk a little bit more about the cold plunge. Uh, it's my understanding that you ladies both um, can appreciate the values of, of cold plunges and potentially some other elements of the Wim Hof kind of philosophy of, what's the word, not training, personal
3: health management, maybe? Um, what What do you guys do? Tell us about it. So we have uh, um, in, in, in our town, we... We have a yoga instructor and his name is Dan Lewis, And um, he got into doing the cold water immersion and took all the certifications and started um, training in our, in our little town. So it always, it, it, uh, I think that my husband actually was the one that planted the seed as to that, um, you know the benefits of, of cold water and what it does to the autonomic nervous system. So I think that uh, being a curious person, I signed up for the course, did the training. And then we're fortunate that we live right on the beautiful St. Lawrence River, which takes till July to get warm and then gets cold again, I think, in October. So we actually have a built in um, plunge pool right in front of our houses. Okay, so.
2: I'm actually a huge Wim Hof advocate and fan as well. I've never done any official training, but tons of reading, tons of personal experimentation with my own poor body. And summarize for us, what are the benefits? What does it do to your autonomic nervous system? And keep in mind, I don't expect you to be the expert on the subject, but just personally, why do you do
3: it? So I think that we're all exposed to stresses in life. And I think that what cold water immersion does at an autonomic level, like at, at the level of the brain, it you introduce a stress and it helps your body learn how to adapt and cope with that stress. And so with exposure after exposure, I think that, and it was only, it was really funny that... Um, <laughs> I was on this, the a phone call to my son who happens to live in the UK. And we're talking about Omicron or whatever this new <laughs> variant is called.
0: Oh, yeah. And
3: and yes. I happen, you can see I have a cast. I was playing with my cat and actually uh, hurt myself, uh, my, my wrist um, um, on Saturday. And then I was meant to be going to South Africa in March to do my bucket list race. But with all, so with all this news and then Simon saying, well, maybe for Christmas, I don't know, mom, if we'll be able to come in the past, those kind of things would have really just devastated me. I would have this really emotional reaction. And he actually said, he said, Oh, I was talking to his brother. He said, we were talking and we were just saying how Zen you have become. <laughs> yeah. That is the cross adaptation. I don't know how it's happened and it's taken. I mean, we have been doing this for a long time and we really did with Noella with, um, with COVID, we really started, I think in je- like in January we would mm-hmm. go pretty much um, five times a week. Through the pandemic.
1: So, okay, talk to me about frequency. So you said five times yeah. a week, but how long and what is the temperature of the water?
0: The body's response, Alona, um, you could word this more eloquent than me, but after two minutes, your autonomic nervous system has, has essentially reaped the benefits that it needs mm-hmm. to reap. And it gives you a big endorphin kick 250 times, I believe, the amount of endorphins that last over eight hours. For myself, uh, we went in Sunday and I I stayed in for five minutes, um, just it's not freezing yet. I believe it's about four degrees. But uh, when you get in the water, you have to focus on your breathing, your inhale, your long exhale. Mm, I was going to ask about that. Yeah. And for myself, it's you get in that water, you start your breathing. And for those two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, whatever you may decide to go in. You're just focused on your breathing. You lose the world's problems. You lose everything else that's going about you. And it's a very pure form of meditation. Mm-hmm. And and for me, I really enjoy that. With my work schedule right now, I'm only getting in once or twice a week. But um, in COVID, we had a unique opportunity because of work from home. So we we got in quite a few days a week, up to five, I believe.
2: Okay, so would you do the the showers too if you can't plunge? Like, do you find... I know there's lots of debate on whether the showers are as beneficial as a plunge and where to direct the water and whatever, but you do do the
3: showers as well.
0: I do two minutes at the end of every shower. And I
3: started um, before I went into the cold water. I started actually with 15 second showers, like turning it Mm -hmm. to cold at the end. And then I do like with Noella that I do up to two minutes now. Like um, if I, if I'm not getting into the water, I I always finish my shower with um, turning it to cold. I find that so much
2: harder. Mm -hmm. I can plunge no problem. But standing, like wading in slowly, or, you know, with water just trickling in one part of your body. Oh, it's so much harder. I don't know what you guys find.
0: I find the shower harder for sure. Um, I was actually saying to my husband, I find I have to focus on my breathing even more in the shower because the water's Mm -hmm. moving more so on you, Mm -hmm. but uh, Mm -hmm. the beauty of, of it, doing it
3: outside. I mean, sometimes it's just the immersion in this natural beauty where the Mm -hmm. steam sometimes Mm -hmm. is coming off Mm -hmm. the water. You have Mm -hmm. ducks swimming by, I mean, in the winter, it's surreal when you've cut a hole in the Mm -hmm. ice and we're actually you know you go in this ice pool there is just something that uh, that's pretty magical and and just the sense of community too that you're doing it with uh, with other people yeah
1: yeah i think my mom I don't know how she gets her hands on these pictures, but she, she's always sending me pictures of you in the, in the river. <laughs> in like the winter. You've gotten sand. I, I know. And it's, so I'm on the side of things. Like I'm in the camp where intellectually I understand this and I want to want to do it like so badly And yet I'm one of these people that just I am so cold all the time. So is there like a learning curve to it? Is there a way to kind of dip your toe in or do you just were either of you like that where you thought, oh, that's not for me. And now you're all of a sudden loving it. Like talk to me a little bit about how one goes about adopting this.
3: So, I also was a person that absolutely did not like the cold, right. I grew up in Africa, so uh yeah, <laughs> I think that mm-hmm. absolutely Carolyn, it is, and i mean you if you think about the the not only does it make me zen in my life, but it also it gives me when you do something that is so hard that you think that it's impossible. I mean, we were, I think we were in the paper because people just can't believe that this yeah. is what we're doing, right? I mean, <laughs> especially if you're cutting a hole in the ice in the winter and you're standing at minus 20 and going in cold water. The fact that you can do it and you do do it, it translates to being able to, I mean, in the marathon, I'm like, well, you can go in cold water. Like you can do something yeah. that is so hard. You really believe that you can do anything. And I think you have to just turn the switch and say, I am going to do this. You're going to count to one, two, three, four, five. So mood follows action. So you're just going to take that action piece and decide to do it. And I think that what Noella is, uh, you know, her saying that it is all about the breath and it's all about just doing that long, slow exhale. And um, if if you just breathe, you can't think about how awful it is.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, a funny little story on this point. So, my husband and I went to. We have this kind of like Lenordic, almost like, uh, the, you know, that Scandinavian spa type of thing. We have that here. Oh, are talking about Thermia. Yeah. yeah. So, so punch pool. I was going to say perfect place, Carolyn. That's where you start. Yeah. No. So we went there, and you know, there's the hot tubs and the medium tubs and the freezing cold tubs. So we were there. It was winter or one of the shoulder seasons, and it was not warm. So. I was like, "You go ahead. <laughs> I don't want." He's like, "I'm going to go in. I'm going to stay in for 30 seconds." I'm like, "Go ahead. Go ahead." And and then I join him. And the first time, and it's kind of like you walk down steps, you kind of pass through and then you walk up the steps on the other side. And I he's like, "Come in for 30 seconds. Come in for 30 seconds." And I go in. I was like <laughs> like my breath just started getting absolutely outrageous and I I think I might have stayed in there for like 2.5 seconds and I was like Then I said to myself, I bet you I'm making it worse with this story Mm. I'm telling myself. So the next time I go in, I'm going to be like, I love this. This is amazing. This feels so great. So that's exactly what I did. So I went in, I still had that response at first, but I just greeted it a little bit differently with like, this feels amazing. I love this. And wouldn't you know, I stayed in for a good like 20 seconds. So I do think, the story that we're telling ourselves, we have to really examine because there's a lot of power in what we say to ourselves, right? So I, I have to think that's a little bit part of it. 100%.
3: Oh, I think it's a lot of part of it. You have to actually decide and then yeah. and then know what to do. We always tell people we never go alone. There's always someone else there because it is anything can happen, right? Mm-hmm. Um and it is, it's all about controlling that breath and the craziest thing. So I've been swimming up until last week. So I think the temperature, I think it was, it's, it's five degrees, but your body does at, at some point it does adapt. Like you actually, I can mm-hmm. get out and we don't feel cold. Um, you do 20 minutes out, like you get that, that temperature drop after and if you look, I watch, uh, I watch people go in and I look at the mood and then you see when people come out of that water and there absolutely is, um, you can see that those endorphins. Yeah. 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 And, 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 and and the mood is happy and light and yeah. Yes. Yes.
1: Well, it's very primal. Yeah. Well,
2: it is. And I'm actually curious. I know this isn't technically Wim Hof, curriculum but I also like you said you just have to decide and when I moved to Winnipeg I decided after two years of hating winter that I just had to make peace with it already and I really got into the nasal breathing while I was running and running just in shorts and a t-shirt you know like I just didn't change my clothes from July through to February and you know like you said the body amazingly adapts. So I'm wondering, do you also do that? Do you guys run, you know, with bare skin in the winter as well?
3: So no, I like, so I'm wearing less. And I like, I, I look at what people wear, and I definitely wear less. I can tell you that we have a cat that I inherited from my son, used to go out on a leash, but now I I do, we let her out, but we, I mean, she's this expensive cat and I don't, it's a fenced in yard and, but I go, I will go out just in pajamas and sandals and it's minus 15 and, and, Mm -hmm. uh, and stand there, you know, for a few minutes and be able to cope with the cold. Yeah, so I, I think that the body definitely does uh, does adapt. I should try that. I should try and go and run with um, just long sleeves and the sh- shorts.
2: Well, we actually talked about this on our winter running podcast with Scott, remember? Yes. Carolyn? Yep. And one of, if I may, one of the things I would recommend if you're thinking about doing that is the same thing. Like you didn't start plunging for five minutes in an ice hole. You started with a shower. And, you know, I I think just starting... Ideally, right from October on, slowly, you know, with like 5 to 10K runs in shorts and a t-shirt, you're not going to go out in February minus 20 for your first, you know, skin, bare skin run in the cold. And your body just it's the same way that we adapt to heat, mm-hmm. right? We like slowly get used to it as the summer comes on. And, and then for some reason we just close
3: the door on winter and go, no,
2: my body can't do Well, that. we
3: did, <laughs> we have also noticed that we've, that we've set, we've set the furnace actually. Our furnace used to be set to like 71, um, like the temperature yeah. in the house. And now it's at 68. And I, I honestly, mm. I don't notice a difference at all.
2: Look, you'll save money. Yeah, <laughs> happy, save money. sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! We okay. So we've gone down. I could do a whole podcast talking about cold therapy and exposure and everything, but we should probably move on. What do you think, Carol? Yeah, sounds
1: good. We? Yeah. Well, we've <laughs> we're gonna to... get you ladies to bed because you're in uh, you're in yeah. a different time zone than we are, and we want to be respectful. So we'll move into our rapid fire. So maybe we'll start with you, Noella. Uh, do you have a favorite mantra?
0: When I am competing or trying to achieve a goal, it's I am fit, I am fast, I am focused. Over and over and over. And mine is
3: be strong, be brave, be present. And mm-hmm. when that doesn't work anymore, all I do is count in eights or tens over and over. Um, <gasps> and then that blocks out <laughs> any other. I don't, can't have any negative thought. All I'm doing is counting. Okay. So back
2: to you, Noella, what is your favorite place to run?
0: Originally from Prince Edward Island, I enjoy when I can go home and run by the water around Victoria Park and uh, on the PEI track, I just love being home and running there. And I love, I have a son who's moved to
3: Vancouver and has, has been there since he was at university. So we go visit often and I just, I love to actually run on the trails there. Like, I love to run the seawall mm. at Stanley Park at least once, but I like to go and find all the, the trails
0: in BC.
1: Noella, do you have a race still on your bucket list?
0: I've always been intrigued by, uh, by Mount Kilimanjaro.
1: Mm. We'll talk offline. My husband and I did that in uh, 2007. Oh, yes. And it was to date our favorite trip ever. Awesome. Yeah. How about you, Alona?
3: I grew up watching, I grew up, I mean, I was born in Cape Town and um, I -hmm. went to university there and there is a race, it's an ultra, um, a 56 kilometer race that's called (laughs) the two oceans that I'd hope to actually do this Easter April, but I don't know if it's going to happen. So um, we'll wait and see. So yes, that's, that's my bucket list race.
2: Okay. So what's next on our list here? Favorite running book or movie? Noella, you're up.
0: Uh, by far, my favorite running book is Born to
3: Run. And I love Dina Casta's book, Let Your Mind Run.
1: You and me both.
3: <laughs> and me too. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's an amazing one. Both of those books. Yes. Born to Run was was definitely a keystone in my running journey.
1: All right. And do you have a favorite post-run indulgence?
0: My favorite cheats are that I like when I've had a long run are either ice cream or after a marathon, a Putin. Mm, (laughs) (laughs) True story.
3: (laughs) And, And I will always plan. I usually well bake like make something like vegan or whole food plant-based treat for after Sunday long run but I have been known my other um, post-run indulgence especially after a marathon I will eat those hard bite um, avocado oil chips and I can eat a whole bag to myself
1: oh, oh those are, <laughs> those are delicious. I hear you <laughs> you
2: have to have a guilty pleasure somewhere in your life yes
1: Well, this has just been absolutely amazing. First of all, congratulations to the two of you on this accomplishment with the Petit Train du Nord Marathon. Um, It's absolutely incredible. It was fascinating talking with you ladies, learning more what it's like from both of your perspectives in terms of being the guide and and being guided um, with your visual impairment, Noella. And uh, it's just been such an absolute pleasure talking with you both. So thank you for joining us.
0: Again, thank you for having us. Thank you so much.